So I have this recurring dream. It happens about once a year, I would say, where I, in my dream, I am in college, and I'm on my way to take my final exam for the semester, and I'm completely unprepared. I mean, not only am I unprepared, I haven't, I realize I haven't been to class since the first week of classes. Anybody ever have a dream like that? Oh, yeah, okay, all right, good, I'm not alone. I find that that dream happens for me usually close to a Sunday when I'm not feeling very prepared for the message. You know, I know some of you wouldn't be caught dead, you know, doing public speaking and stuff. I actually enjoy it, but only if I'm prepared and only if I'm ready for it. And so, you know, this, this kind of surfaces for me in my dreams. I have a, a pastor, a friend of mine, who's also a counselor, and he told me many years ago, he said, pay attention to the emotions in your dream. He said, you don't worry about the details. I mean, don't try to figure out the people and the details and all that kind of stuff, but pay attention to the emotions because there's usually something that is trying to surface out of your heart. That, that's true for us in night dreams. It's also true for us in daydreams. As we, think about what, as we think about the future and what we long for and what we dream about, it, it's been fun over the years like watching my kids as they are seeking to figure out what they're going to do in life. And so my oldest, Jessica, is studying to be a history teacher because she loves, and this reflects what's coming out of her heart. Her dream is to help kids learn history because she loves history and she loves learning, and so she wants to help somebody else learn. Now, my second daughter, totally different, she wants to go into the medical field. She wants to do something in the area of nursing. And we think that that comes out, she said that comes out of earlier in life, we had a family member who was in the hospital for an extended period of time. She was very young, and so as she was there, she was really impacted by that, and she thought, when I grow up, I wanna help other people, like I'm watching these people help this, this family member. And then we have uh, Nathan is, is our third. And so Nathan has always loved putting together Legos and putting stuff together. And then as he got older, he started taking things apart. And so we would have like old broken radios or mowers and stuff. Like he would take them apart. We'd have piles around the house of these things that he had taken apart. And now that as he's getting older, he's actually learning how to put them back together. And sometimes they work, and with increasing success, we're excited to see that. So he's thinking, he wants to maybe do something in the area of robotics. God gives different dreams to different people. I'm so glad he gives different dreams because we need all kinds of people doing all different kinds of things. And their dreams, what we dream about, reveals our heart. Then there's dreams that God has, dreams that reveal his heart. There are things that God wants to accomplish in this world. God, God wants to redeem and restore this world from a very fallen place and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. He is looking to redeem that and change it and restore it. And he calls us into his dream. For, for this world. I mean, that's actually the, the story of Scripture all the way through is God calling ordinary people into his dream, what he's doing. He has this bigger purpose that is going on. 
It, you may be here this morning, and maybe this is your first time at Grace Point. Maybe this is your first time in church for a long time or at all, and you're just, you don't know a whole lot about the Scripture, the Bible. You're just looking to learn some things about faith. I need to tell you something up front, and this is a reminder for the rest of us. God is not as interested in your personal dream as we sometimes would like him to be. God is mostly interested in his big picture dream of what he is doing in the world, and he is benevolent enough to call us into that dream, and it ends up being a win-win, because when we're doing what God wants us to do, that, that's the very best place that we can be. But sometimes we get upset because we want God's ultimate dream to be about us and making us comfortable. And what we find is that when God calls us into his dream, and when we're in the middle of his will, carrying out what he wants us to do, sometimes our life actually gets more difficult. I mean, we might think if we're on track to do what God wants us to do, things should be smooth. I mean, if he's all powerful, I mean, why does he just remove the obstacles? But what we find many times is it actually gets more difficult. And so this morning, we're, we're going to start looking at a, a very specific dream that God gave to one young man and the very rocky road that he took to see that dream come true, see what we can learn from him for our own dreams. If you would take a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 37, that's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one on the seat close to you. Genesis 37 is on page 34. We're going to be studying the life of Joseph. There's several Josephs in scripture. This one is Joseph of, of Genesis. There's actually a musical written out of the story, maybe familiar with it, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's actually a really pretty good adaptation of the biblical story with the exception of one thing. Leaves God completely out of it, which is, that's a pretty major thing. So we're going to keep God right into the center of everything that, that we're doing. The musical is fun, recommended, it's, it's good, but, um, but we're going to be studying scripture here. Most of Genesis is the story of one family, starting with a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We have uh, Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and then 12 sons of Jacob zeroed in, focused in on Joseph. We're going to zero in and focus on Joseph. And Genesis ends up being a great example of what I'm talking about, where God calls ordinary, flawed human beings into his story and what he is accomplishing to be part of his dream. We're going to start in verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, Okay, just take note that that's a plural, wives. Okay, we'll come back to that. That's kind of introduces some problems there. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they, what? Hated Okay, now you're going to have to say that with more gusto because they were feeling it with more gusto, okay? They did what? Hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. All right, so we see here off the bat in Joseph's story, there's this sibling rivalry 
going on. Um, Jacob, the dad, is playing favorites with his kids. And, and we noted here that he has multiple wives. I mean, anytime you, you have multiple wives, I mean, this, it's just not recommended, okay? So, I mean, get, working through life with, with one wife, I mean, with one wonderful, loving, <laughs> nearly perfect wife, doing that is, that's hard enough as it is, but trying to do that with multiple wives, man, that's, that's, that's difficult. And so we got that going on, we've got... Um, favorites being played. We might think, if you know the story of Jacob, we might think that Jacob would have learned from his own experience because he was a favorite son and it caused him all kinds of problems. He ended up, his brother wanted to kill him. And so we might think that he would have learned from that situation, but very often we repeat the, the mistakes that our parents make um, unless we're very intentional about breaking out of that. And so he so Jacob's playing favorites. And one of the things that I love as we're, as we're talking about these, these characters in, in Scripture, that the heroes of the Bible are so real and so flawed. And honestly, it's one of the things that helps me believe that this ancient book that was written thousands of years ago is trustworthy. Because if I were writing a book that was trying to promote and ideology and trying to get people to buy into things, I would want to present it in the best possible light. And I want to present these heroes in the best possible light. But Scripture doesn't do that. Over and over and over again, they all have these very real flaws so that we can relate to them. So Joseph is given this coat of many colors. We actually have somewhat of a replica up here. It's so subtle you might miss it in the the stage set. But he gave him a coat of many colors. And Joseph goes out to be with his brothers, to to check on them as they're pasturing sheep. And he brings them back a bad report, which very likely is true. And the result is that the brothers, what? They hated him. Okay, let's read on in verse five. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they, what? Hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, now I have to notice, I have to note something here. Whenever you see behold in scripture, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like take note, it's kind of like an exclamation point, okay? So he's saying behold a lot, which tells me he's pretty excited about his dream. So verse seven, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, wow, that's awesome, Joseph. I can't, no, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they, what? Hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. And they're all like, wow, oh, I can't wait to hear this one. Behold, the sun, the moon, And 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. All right, so it's very clear here what brothers feel for him. Dad also is unsettled by hearing this dream, but Jacob is going to keep this in mind because Jacob knows something about dreams himself. 
And if you want, you can go back this afternoon and read in Genesis 28 and find a dream that Jacob had about a ladder from earth to heavens bridging that that gap. So Jacob is keeping this in mind. The message of of Joseph's dreams is very clear. He is going to someday be in a position of power, a position of, of influence. And some have speculated as they look at this passage and make comments on it, some have speculated that Joseph was kind of arrogant. I don't know. He might have been arrogant. He might have just been naive, being all excited and thinking his brothers were going to be excited too. We have to be careful when anytime we're reading scripture not to speculate too far, not to, to hold on to our speculations too hard. If the author wants us to know something, he's going to tell us. And the author wants us to know how the brothers feel about Joseph, which is they hated him. All right, verse 12. Now Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. All right, let's get an idea of where Shechem is at and relate and how long this trip actually is. So Joseph is leaving from Hebron, which is down there at the bottom of that map, and he's headed to Shechem, about 45 miles away. Now for us today, no big deal. We get in a car, we drive 45 miles in less than an hour. For Joseph, Joseph did not have a car. And so if he's going to walk there, then he's walking, whatever, three, four miles an hour. It's going to take him 10 to 15 hours to get to Shechem. It's, It's a little ways away, a little ways away from the protection of home, from the protection of daddy. So verse 14, he he left from the valley of Hebron, came to Shechem, verse 15, a man found him wandering the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, she said. Tell me please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Dothan is another four to five hour walk away. So imagine this, this is you and I walking to Lancaster, okay? This is, this is far from home, far from the protection that Joseph is used to. Verse 18. So his brothers saw Joseph from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what become of his dreams. All right, so time out here. You thought your family was dysfunctional. I mean, I I hope it's not true of anybody in this room that you've ever had such sibling rivalry or such things going on in your family that somebody wanted to kill you, and yet that's, that's the situation we have here. So here's what we need to understand from this. Even when a dream is from God, if God gives you a dream... Not everyone is necessarily going to be excited about that. I mean, we might think if this is legitimate, if this is what God wants, 
then shouldn't people come on board and be supportive for me? If God gives you a dream to pursue, wouldn't you expect, wow, everybody's going to recognize that and just come alongside? Not necessarily. Some are going to be jealous. Some are going to wish that God gave them the dream. We, we, we need to be careful when God gives us a dream. We can't rule it out that it's from God just because we have opposition. And conversely, we need to think about how do we respond when someone else surfaces a dream in their life, when God calls them to something, are we excited for them or are we jealous? Verse 21. So they're planning to, to do away with Joseph, to kill him. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued Joseph out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Because Reuben intended that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Reuben, Reuben has violated his father and he wants to get back on his good side. That's a whole another story. But So Reuben has a, a good plan here in mind. But verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And just question side note why do you wear your coat of many colors out to the field to your brothers after yeah i don't know verse 24 they took him and threw him into a pit the pit was empty there was no water in it so this pit is probably a cistern uh, out in the middle of a field to hold water fortunately at the moment it doesn't have any water in it. And so Joseph, as he's at the bottom of this pit, I have to think, is asking himself the question, what, what is going on here? I mean, God, you, you gave me this dream. Why do my brothers hate me so much? And what Joseph is learning, as you and I need to learn, is that the path to God's dream often goes through a pit. The path to God's dream and purpose and what he is wanting to accomplish in our lives often goes through a pit. This surprises us for some reason. We, we think, well, if God's in this, God's all-powerful, he should be removing the obstacles, shouldn't he? It surprises us over and over again. And yet, over and over again in Scripture, we see this played out. So a boy named David is called by God to be the next king of Israel. God sends the prophet to anoint David, say, you're going to be a king. And David's thinking, wow, this is cool. That's a great dream. I look forward to being a king and being a good-hearted king that makes life better for other people. It will be 13 years from the time David is anointed until the time he becomes king. And during those 13 years, he will be running for his life from the current king who really isn't interested in somebody else being the king. He's hiding in caves, and he's thinking... Yeah, God, good dream, but wow, can we get, a, get to this a different way? Daniel. Daniel was a, a righteous, righteous man. I, I said earlier that one of the things I love about Scripture is so many of the heroes have flaws. We're hard-pressed to find a flaw in Daniel. Daniel is a righteous man in a very unrighteous culture, and he is persisting in pursuing God. And, and in prayer, he is coming to God faithfully in prayer, which gets him thrown into a pit. And not just a pit, 
I mean, this is a pit with man-eating animals in it. I mean, that's a bad day. And he's thinking, God, what did I do to deserve this? And then there's Jesus. There's Jesus who came to us because God had a dream to redeem this messed up, broken world that we live in. God created the world perfect. It was beautiful. It was flawless. And then sin entered the picture and disrupted everything. And every hurt and every pain and every disruption that you feel personally is a result of sin in the world. And God said, I have a plan and I have a dream to change that and to restore everything to the perfection that I intended from the beginning. And so he sent Jesus to do that and to be the king, not just David as king, but Jesus as king over all things and set all things right. But before Jesus gets to that dream, he has to go through a pit. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day, be raised. See, we like the raised part. We, we want to skip ahead to the raised part. We want to fast forward to that. We, we want to celebrate that. That's the victory. That's the dream. But there are, there's a pit that Jesus had to go through to get to that dream so that you and I can experience change and redemption. One of our, our, two of our core values here as a church is, is the gospel itself, the fact that Jesus came and gave his life in our place so that we can be redeemed from sin. We can be rescued. We can be washed clean even though we don't deserve it. And that gospel leads to life change and transformation. If, if you are desperate for your life to be different than it is now, if you're desperate to have power in your life to overcome hurt and pain and habits, that, that power doesn't come from somewhere inside of you. It doesn't come from just willing harder. It comes from inviting Christ into your life and embracing his good news, his gospel. And there is no gospel without a pit. The path to God's dream often, often goes through a pit. And maybe, maybe it's so with you right now. Maybe you have started on the path to a dream, and you're pretty sure it's God's dream for you, but you're encountering a, a pit of, of some kind. Maybe it's, maybe it's in the area of your job. I mean, some of you are young people in here this morning. You're starting out with your, your first job, and you come into a job, and you, you have this dream, and you think it's going to be a certain way, and then you get into it, and you're like, wow, this is not what I signed up for. Your boss may have even had the best of intentions and it just changes over time. And it's like, man, this is, I'm, I'm in a pit here. You may be even doing God's work. You may be even doing ministry. And by the way, you can do God's work, whatever setting you are in, his calling on, on your life. But you, you feel like, God, I'm doing what it is that you want me to do. And this is just so much harder than I thought it was going to be. It may be true in your marriage. It's not God's dream for everyone to be married, but it is for, for many people. And when you're in that early stage and you meet someone and they're dreamy and you're dreaming and you're thinking, oh, this is the way it's going to be and things are going to be so great and I'm going to so enjoy this person. And then you hit a pit and you're like, what? What is going on? What's wrong here? And I have to sidebar here, celebrate uh, a couple. That we have somebody brought this to my attention that we have a couple here this morning who's celebrating their 
46th wedding anniversary today. And so that's Roy and Sandy Britton. So if you see them, tell them congratulations. I know a few of you have gone even beyond that number. And you don't get to that number without going through some pits. You're going to have to work through those pits and not give up. You, you may be experiencing a pit with one of your children. I mean, when you dream of having children, that's one thing. I mean, you dream about what it's going to be like for them to play in the backyard, and you're going to go ride bikes together and stuff like that. And you're dreaming all that time while you're expecting, and then they come out, and they start screaming. And you're like, that was not part of my dream. Like, where'd that come from? And then they get older, and then they start, like, destroying stuff around your house. And they start fighting with siblings or people, and you're like, man, none of this was part of my dream. And they grow a little older, and they, they break your heart in some way, and you think, this sure wasn't part of my dream. doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. The path to God's dream often, often leads to a pit, and we have to be very careful not to give up too quick when we hit the pit. It's possible that what we're pursuing is not God's dream. And so we should say, I mean, how, how can we know if even what we're pursuing is God's dream? Let me give you three indicators that you can measure whether what you're pursuing is God's dream. The first one is, does it sound like something God would call you into? Um, and what I mean by that is, we, we have tons of examples in Scripture about God calling people into his, his dream. And so we, we have an idea of the way God operates and the kinds of things that are on God's heart. And it is gonna be a lot easier if you're trying to figure out what God is doing in your life, it's a lot easier for you to figure that out if you know what God has done in other people's lives. And so spend time in scripture looking at how God operates. The, the second indicator that we're on path with God's dream and not just our own dream is that it's gonna be bigger than you. If it's, if it's as small as your life and it's just about making your life better, then that's probably not God's dream because he's about much bigger stuff than that. He, he is generous enough, gracious enough to, to enter into our dreams and work with us on those things sometimes, but he is far more interested in pursuing what is on his heart and calling us into that and doing good through that. The third indicator is it's not gonna be easy. So if you're pursuing a dream and it's all just going super smooth and nothing is, you're not encountering any kind of bumps in the road, then you're probably not on track with God's dream. You're probably, you probably picked something that's just a lot easier because the path to God's dream usually most often goes through a pit. We need to finish up here with Joseph, verse 25. So the brothers have thrown Joseph into the pit and verse 25, then they sat down to eat. Are you kidding me? Okay, so we, we find out later that Joseph's at the bottom of the pit. He's crying out. He's pleading for his life. And they're sitting around in a circle. Is a car past the Doritos? I mean, it's hard to imagine. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh and his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. 
they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, I'm not sure what's worse here, honestly. Okay, so they're, first they're going to kill him, and then they're just going to sell him. And, and notice what, he said, what Judah says here. He's like, what profit is it if we kill him? We're not getting anything out of that. Let's profit. Let's get some money out of this. Just some messed up dysfunction going on here. And they sell him for 20 shekels. If we translate that into our money today, less than $200. Okay, that's our money today, less than $200. That's what they valued him at. That's insult to injury. Verse 31. Um, Reuben, by, by the way, does, he comes back to the pit. Joseph is gone. Verse 31, they, they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So a sad scene. Brothers deceiving their father. He buys it. He's inconsolable. But verse 36, meanwhile, say meanwhile. Meanwhile is a great word because it means something is going on that is going to turn this situation in a more positive direction. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The path to God's dream often goes through a pit. Several years ago, personal example of this, Sherry and I were at a church in uh, about three hours west of, her, of here, and God was doing some really, really neat things there, but we were seeing some dysfunction in the, the leadership there. And for well over a year, I really worked there to try to see if we could, we could see that improve and, and work things out. It became evident that, that we, we couldn't and that we needed to leave. And in fact, one day, uh, we don't have very many God intervention moments in our life, but one day there was a very clear intervention point where God spoke to Sherry and encouraged her to look at, at a different church and look at a different uh, opportunity there. It's kind of a neat story how that played out that I don't have time to tell you right now. But, and God spoke to her because he knew that I wasn't gonna listen because I just, I wanted us, we just gotta try to work this out. But God was very clear, started opening up a door for us to look at other churches and then, then uh, we made the decision that we needed to leave. Uh, and we, by faith, we still didn't know where we were going to go. And then that other door with that other church closed. And so, so here we are. We've left the place that, that we were at, and that was, you know, secure. And now we have no idea where we're going. And so for eight months, we knocked on doors of churches, and God didn't open any of them. And there were, there were moments in there where, there, there were pit days in the midst of that where I questioned the decision that we had made, where I questioned what, what we were supposed to be going to. Maybe we're barking up the wrong tree here. 
Maybe we need to be looking into a different kind of ministry or something outside of ministry altogether. God, what are you doing here? And then one day Sherry found, Sherry finds all this good stuff. She found a church called Grace Point online that was looking for a pastor. That was eight months into our search. And then it was going to be another six months of conversations and interviews and visits until we got here. And we got here um, 18 months to the day after God had begun this whole process for us, far, far longer than I thought it was going to take. But what we learned when we got here was that Grace Point had been searching for a pastor for 18 months. And so God knew on those pit days... (laughs) Where he was taking us, I just, we didn't know that at that moment. And whatever pit is going on in your life right now, he knows what the end of that is. And it will be good. You just have to hold on and don't give up. One last thing about Joseph. Do you remember the name of the town where the field was where he was thrown into the pit? Dothan. Dothan was the name of the town. He was in this pit. Joseph could not have known at the bottom of that pit that 500 years later, when the people of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt, had left Egypt, had come to take possession of the land of Israel, that he couldn't have known that there would be a little tribe by the name of Ephraim that possessed the land where Dothan was located. Ephraim, named for Joseph's son. See, the pit was just a pit stop on the way to God's dream, and so it is with yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your sovereignty, for your greatness, that you are able to work all things together for good. And you're working it together for your good, for your purposes, for your dream. Thank you that you call us into that. And yet we recognize that even as you call us into your dream, that many times that's not an easy road. It wasn't for Jesus. As Jesus was playing out and fulfilling your your dream, he had to go through the darkest, deepest pit of death in order to win salvation and freedom for us. And so we thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to go through that pit. And I pray for myself and for each person in this room and particularly for someone who's here today who feels like they're right in a pit right now. I pray that you would give them the courage that you showed to to keep moving forward, to keep pursuing the dream, to not give up faith just because they're in a pit because you're able to draw us out of those pits and fulfill the dream in your timing, in your way. We celebrate you today, Jesus. Amen.